Right. That's the that's the power of the gospel, right? It's it's a, it's like a mustard seed, and and anything could happen. Uh, what I what I've kind of relegated a lot to. When you're done with bad, it's going to be good, and it might be great, right? And so who knows what God's going to do tonight? But um, I want to take just a few minutes and unpack from. Um, really want to do one central scripture, kind of catch up on the word of the Lord to us as a movement, what God's doing, kind of explain, hey, why is that important that we uh, own our greater family word, even as we have our church word from the Lord, even as we have our own personal or our own family's word? You know, how does God use the word of the Lord? And then what is the place of the school in that? And what is so needed uh, for us. So, hey, if, if you've got a Bible, just very quickly, um, <clears throat> Revelation 3. Never thought I'd be a guy that uses one of these deals as my, uh, an app, you know, for, but I, I am one of those. When, when they first came out, somebody told me, everybody's going to be doing it. I said, not me. I'm not going to be doing that. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm a slow adapter. Um, so, Revelation 3, <clears throat> to the church at Philadelphia, says this, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one's opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. That's just a great, great scripture. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia, and just for a little context, uh, Philadelphia was a church that the Greeks had created. It was a Greek city, not a Roman city. And the Greeks had created this as a new city to propagate Greek culture and Greek language. It was to be a hub city that was a demonstration or an activation to the known world about Greek language, Greek culture. And uh, then God speaks to that people in that city, in that church. He who is holy, who is true, has the key of David, who opens and no one's will shut, and shut and no one's open, says this. And, you know, the key of David are, are used uh, different um, uh, interpretations of that. But the key of David uh, is really the authority that God gave David to open or, or to walk into the throne of grace, to carry the ark of God, to um, lead the people of God, to see the prophetic desire of God. So the key, the, the, the key of David is the authority that God's given us as a people to open doors. Isn't that awesome? So uh, we are of the lineage, Jesus is the lineage of David. We are the lineage of Jesus. Therefore, we have the key of David to open doors and to see um, uh, the authority of God that he put on David, he puts on us as new believers, as the New Testament believers. And God opens doors that no one can shut. Now, we know that uh, theologically through salvation. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus alone has rent the veil. Therefore, we have access to the throne of grace. So theologically, that door has been opened since the resurrection. There is no door, shut door between God and man. So that is awesome. Then, then this is the this is the part which I'll I'm going to share several stories here, but this is the part that's become fresh to me. Then he then then uh, Jesus describes to the church of Philadelphia why he gave him a door that no man can shut, and he says, "Cause you guys have a little power. 
you're the little people with the little power. And because you have a little power, I've shown mercy on you and opened a door that no man can shut. And then he says, because you have a little power and you have kept my word and honored or loved my name. So when we are committed to keeping the word of the Lord and honoring his name, even if we have a little power, there'll be a wide open door, not just of ministry, but a wide open door into the unseen realm, a wide open door into the supernatural world of uh, the riches of the glory of the kingdom of God, let alone the riches of the glory of Christ. Now, I, I share that as a little bit of a framework biblically because uh, I want to just take you guys on a little journey um, of what I think is happening in our midst, and not just in our midst, but um, in the body of Christ. So, um, you know, um, if, if you're familiar a little bit with our story, one of the key things for Laura and I when we first started in 1987, God had spoken to us to start a little missions training school that would train people up uh, out of the local church and, and, Lord willing, send them to the nations of the earth and eventually uh, plant churches around the world. So we are 21 and 22 years old. We don't know anything. We don't have any background. We just have a word from the Lord. And as a part of that, we were going to start the school. We were going to run it all day Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday mornings till noon, and then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday afternoons, we would work to try to uh, take care of things. And of course, uh, we couldn't take care of more than half of our needs. So then we would just pray, uh, not, told any, not tell anyone our needs, but believe God for whatever that gap is. Never tell anybody our needs and God would provide that gap. So it was our training school, not just their training school. So remember that as a, as a director of a school, this is your opportunity to relearn at another level all the things that you're trying to impart to everybody else. So I love being part of the school, and Laura and I actually re-engaged it uh, for a couple of years uh, uh, during COVID just because we wanted to to re-engage uh, in our own hearts, but also, of course, serve the body. So the more you um, treat the school as another opportunity for you, uh, the more you're going to get out of the school uh, and even have more to impart to them. So, uh, so anyway, um, as a part of kind of getting ready for that journey to start the training school, remember, before something starts, there's always going to be a pushback. When, when you're birthing something or when you're trying to take new ground, they're always in the unseen realm. It could be something simple like distracting things, things breaking down all around you. It can be very difficult, a physical illness from out of nowhere, a relational break. I mean, but as, as, as leaders of communities that are moving people forward, there will always be a pushback. So you gotta, you got to just recognize it for what it is. Submit to God. Resist the enemy. Draw near to God. God, keep changing me. Keep me under your covering. We're good to go. So in the midst of that, Laura and I were, were uh, getting ready for this little training school. We didn't know much about warfare except that we were experiencing it. And um, uh, we had basically sold everything we had and moved into inner city, little rental house. It was $185 a month. And it wasn't worth much more than that, by the way. I just want you all to know. Uh, and um, so we were learning that. And um, I'm driving down the road and saying, God, what are you doing with us, right? Anybody ever been there? Like, God, what in the world are you doing? I've, I've, I've said yes to you. I'm 
living as radical as I know, but I'm out here, right? So remember, faith always has a gap, right? Faith is never sight immediately, not never, rarely. Faith is rarely sight immediately. Faith is called faith because you can't see, <laughs> and you trust what you can't see. So there's always a gap when God speaks something. There's always a bit of a wilderness in between the reality of it. And it's okay. It's actually normal. I mean, like, read the Bible. I mean, uh, think about Abraham. God would speak to him about every 15 years. So we were like, hey, he kind of drifted from God and, you know, lied a little bit, did some stupid things. But what if you didn't hear from God but once every 15 years? I mean, you know what I'm saying? We now can hear daily from God. That's the blow away. These guys were not getting a lot uh, to go off of, but they were getting big downloads, just not that many of them. Uh, okay, that's whole, I'm going on several tangents uh, to um, keep us moving here. All right. So in the midst of that, God, what are you doing with us? And uh, many of you heard me talk about this, had this experience where if, if I've heard the audible voice of God before, this was it. And I, I hear God speak to me, and he said, if you'll simply obey the next thing I'm telling you to do, you'll be in the middle of the greatest revival this world's ever seen. And it was so overwhelming that I was driving down our main highway, I-35 here, and I had to pull over on the side of the road just weeping out of control and undone. And more than anything, not even dissecting the statement, but that God spoke, right? God visited my little truck and, and, um, and, and gave us this word. But it was so profound <clears throat> that it's been a place for refuge for us all of our lives. And of course, Jesus said, who are my mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, those who hear the word of God and obey the word of God. So obedience is the admonition throughout the scripture, apart from a near and audible voice of God. But for us, it reinforced that, that the safest place for us always, whether uh, something horrific's going on or something wonderful is going on, it's just always, God, are we obeying you today? Am I up to date today with honor of your word, your ways, and all that? And, 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 and interesting enough, another little, you're getting several tangents tonight, so that's why uh, you might just, if something hits you, just write it down. So the, uh, the number one admonition to parents in child raising is to teach your children to obey. It, it, now, don't get this wrong. It's implicit that we are called by God to love them, nurture them, and care for them, but it is directly spoken to over and over again that we're to teach them to obey and teach them to honor. And why? For their safety and for their longevity and so that they can know the love of God. Because if you don't trust God, you can't realize the love of God. If you can't realize the love of God, then you'll never obey God, not from the heart, and all of it's related to this ideal, children, honor your mother and father, the first command of the promise, and be well with you, and um, teaching them to obey, right? Um, and uh, what, what, uh, in raising them in the admonition and fear of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So I say all that to say, when we are leading discipleship schools, we are reparenting everybody. Uh, somebody said, uh, you know, uh, Andrew, when, when we meet, you and I are meeting, you say, hey, I met with Jimmy, we met together. Hi, how y'all doing? Come on in. 
There's water, food, and the Word of God is coming to you today. <laughs> um, uh, but in reality, um, we, we, uh, joking, I said, I wonder how many people are sitting down with Andrew and I, voices in our head, our families of origin, how we see things, our last conversation. How many people are sitting down with Andrew and I in one weird way? Uh, family of origin and the voices of our experience come way more into play than we would like to think they w would in every interaction. Usually find this out in marriage or in close roommate situations, and for sure you'll find it out in child raising. Um, the joke with Laura that we... We really cleaned out our own hearts, repented of everything that we could to clean our hearts out before we got married and then kids. And uh, But Laura would jokingly often say when one of our kids was very rebellious, she would say, have you repented of everything? Is there anything generational curse that's coming down here? Because this child, from best I understand, looks more like you than like me. Right? You know what I'm saying. So... Um, teaching kids and to obey, but also remember we're retraining ourselves to obey. That obedience is the joy of our lives, not the demand of our lives. He demands it to rescue us, to save us, but the joy of it is, is when we realize it's for our good. And so for our kids, that's the environment we raised them in, was that and the reason we obey God is that we don't want to mess our lives up, and we don't want to mess up somebody else's life, and we want the riches of what God has for us. And so that is really, actually, uh, Andrew Zanaka, who's the lead pastor in Indianapolis, um, we did a book on parenting called Parenting Without Regret. And um, our kids wrote the forward to each chapter, or just a little vignette along the way. And um, uh, Andrew said, oh, it was a great book. He had just gotten married. They didn't have kids. And he said, I, 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 he said, more than parenting, I used it in our discipleship school. I had everybody read Parenting Out Regret to then look back and say, where are the holes in my life because of what my parents were or weren't? Not to blame our parents, just to realize what the gap is. And then I used it as a book to disciple the pe other people. You know, I used it as a disciple. So that's, that's really an all... Uh, reality, we're trying to build family in order to restore family uh, in order for, the, for people to have the power to be family, right? That's, 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 uh, I don't, I'm not sure I can, but we, we are, we are trying to create family in order to restore family so that we can be family. There it is, right? So the best schools are family rooms. And and the interaction of the, the family dynamic that you're able to recreate there. And again, not in some weird uh, codependent thing that we're responsible for everybody's brokenness. It's just that uh, we're giving an alternative of grace is normal, obedience is desirable, uh, the Father, God himself, as the head of the house with absolute joy, the uh, realization that our rebellion is what sends people into the ditch, not somebody else's fault. Though people do wicked things, it's still us that we own our own. You know, all that good stuff you can find out in parenting. So that's a little little bit. I don't know if I've ever said that before, Mick, but th that it's true. And so um, <clears throat> I would just say 
as leaders, that's something that we want to be aware of. And, and that's what we tried to do um, uh, from the earliest uh, days in running the training school. Um, but back to this whole idea of simply obey the next thing you're, God's telling you to do. So when we got into COVID and, um, and things got a bit challenging, not just um, uh, because we couldn't meet, not just because of all the normal stuff that, that kind of all of us in the whole world was experiencing, but, but uh, 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 not only uh, here in Waco, but throughout the movement, but not just our movement, every movement in the body of Christ. And I have the privilege of relating to a lot of leaders in the body of Christ. And everybody was experiencing incredible pruning, incredible uh, 30-year relationship, freaking out, and people doing stuff you never thought they would do. And 30-year relationship, all of a sudden, in 30 days, they... They didn't trust you ever again in their life. And you're like, what in the world? I mean, like, you know, the, the devil was just having a playground with the isolation and the brokenness and the uncertainty and all, all, all of that. And, and I just want to make a little point here. I have prayed daily for the last 15 months. God, um, coalesce the called, bring people back, and let's make it easy for people to come back. People who did stupid things, made stupid decisions, made declarations, made some choices that they're still going to live with for maybe the rest of their lives. You know what? They are welcome back to the table, uh, regardless of what they've done or haven't done. We not only forgive them, but we want to make a, an easy way back um, as, as we go on. So we, we got out of 2020, and we had all kinds of internal things going on, external things that we haven't experienced. We, I, I can say this for us as a, as a leadership team, at least at the elder level, we had not had any division in 30 years. I don't know any many groups that have, have had that long of a run. Not that, not that we didn't have disagreements, not that we didn't have challenges, but we always worked it through. But even that started to have challenges we've never had before. So there was, wasn't any area of life that wasn't in chaos or about to be, right? Um, and um, uh, so, so what do you do in, in those things? Well, you go back to what you know. Of course, we were spending time with the Lord. We were crying out to God, all that. But back to this, God, you are the leader of your people. You're the leader of the family. You're the leader of this family. You're the leader of my heart. So, Lord, are we up to date with you? Is my vertical obedience up to date? As far as I know, before the living God, am I vertically obedient to God, whether that's forgiving somebody, blessing somebody, pursuing somebody, my own stuff that's been shaking, am I if repented of that? I want to be fully obedient to you. And so for us here locally and then as a movement overall for Antioch, we, we just said, hey, we are not leading this deal. The God who called us is the God who leads us. And more than anything, we have to hear him and then follow him. So how can we hear him better as a community? And we, you know, begin to send out all these opportunities for people to give input and feedback. And we did that in the movement, and we did that around the world. And in the midst of all that, what what has become clear to us again is that um, God's God is speaking to us that. He's re-engaging us in a five-year word. And when I say a word, remember you have timeless words, the Bible, every promise you need's in there, right? 
But you, but there's something about the now word. God speaks specifically to tribes in the scripture. God has specific callings on people's lives. People, God, God, God is so wonderful to speak personally, uniquely to each level of uh, family or uh, spiritual communities. And, um, and so God spoke to us to pick back up a word that he had spoken in 2018. I know for most of you this is review, but this will get back to the open door here before we end our time. And that was this deal about the Queen Mary. Has anybody not heard the Queen Mary story? Okay, a couple of you guys, Queen Mary. So I'll just very, I'll shrink wrap it, then, in, then I can send you the word more in depth. So um, 2018, we're about to meet with the U.S. overseer, or actually all of our U.S. Uh, teams, and... I have this dream, and in this dream, I'm on the uh, shore in Long Island, looking out in New York, looking out over the Atlantic Ocean, and God speaks to me in this dream. I'm conscripting the Antioch movement for such a time as this. Never, I don't think I've used that word in a sentence before, personally, not that familiar with it. In the dream, somehow I know it has something to do with the draft, and I'm in this stunning moment because it's the voice of God in this dream, and this is not consistent for me, very uh, unique, and I'm just overwhelmed, and um, my heart's pounding, and I'm and I'm kind of asking without words, what does conscription mean? And then I wake up, and I'm like, oh Lord, just you know, I'm worshiping God because I'm overwhelmed with His voice, and uh, Lord, speak to me, and and then I have an open vision, which again has never had happened to me where I dream, wake up, then I have an open vision that I see a ship a boat coming from london to new york and the lord says it is like the queen mary the answer to this conscription word is in the queen mary and i'm like okay queen mary i'm, I'm i don't know much about it historically i just know it's a a boat somewhere in the early 1900s so i google queen mary and queen mary was in 1936 um, it was a, a famous cruise liner, and then it says in the, in the little Wikipedia thing, it was conscripted by the Allied forces, and it was retrofitted from a cruise liner to a troop carrier and would end up sending over 400,000 troops to five different continents, and many believe that the war was at least one year shorter because of the ability to distribute these troops to the battlefields of the world. Okay. then it would in turn pick up soldiers and bring over 400,000 back. So it had 800,000 people uh, on the ship. And before, when it was a cruise liner, they, they sent it to New York. They stripped out all the luxuries. They put it down to um, Sydney, Australia, retrofitted it out, and literally they would have seven bunks high in what used to be the swimming pool. And uh, where before it had 2,000... People on board with a thousand attendants, so that'd be three thousand. Uh, it broke the world record for the most people carried transatlantic, sixteen thousand eight hundred thirty-three, in one particular carry. The other thing that would happen is Winston Churchill would use that as his mode of travel to go from London to New York, and he would uh, sign on as Chief Warrant Officer Warren, W-R-A-E-N so that nobody knew that he was on the ship. And in the belly of the ship were a recreation of his invasion was first roofs. And the, in the belly of the ship is where the Normandy invasion was first revealed to him uh, from the Allied commanders 
uh, that would again turn the tide in the war. So man, there's all kinds of, you don't have to be that prophetic to start picking up some big stuff here. So uh, I could go on for a long time, but for sake of of time, the the key was that, uh, is that one prophetic friend said, well, it's obvious, you know, of course God's calling us to not be a cruise liner and be a troop carrier and, and prepare for war for people's lives and to the nations of the earth, all those good things. But he said, you know, the power, it's obvious, isn't that the power's in the name? And I'm like, it's not obvious to me. And so he said, remember, Jesus is the king and the church is the queen, and Mary is the conscripted one. So you had the Queen Mary and the other ship that was conscripted. Actually, there were three, Queen Mary, Queen Elizabeth, and what was a ship called the Normandy were the three conscripted troop carriers. Uh, and the, the Queen Mary and Queen Elizabeth, Elizabeth was the other conscripted one, right? That They, they were conscripted into the storyline of the prophet of, to Jesus, Jesus himself. And what did Mary say? Be it done according to your bondservant. So out of this kind of way out there deal, you know, our, 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 my prayer was, Lord, be it according, done, according to us, your bondservant. So I shared this in 18, and we had kind of a move of God, but it wasn't really around it. We didn't, we didn't do a lot with it. It was just like a cool experience. And God spoke to us in 2020. Um, I, I have this word for you, and it's for now. Pick it back up and finish the word. So think about it this way. Let me pause for a minute for personal encouragement on prophecy. There's a guy named Rick Joyner who's kind of a well-known prophetic guy. And uh, he came and taught in our training school one year. And um, do you remember that, Meg, when Rick came? Yeah. And so and, and um, somebody asked this question, how many prophetic words do you think are fulfilled? Right? And of course, I think maybe the question was about the big stuff that people prophesy that doesn't happen that often. And then... Uh, but also personally, he said, well, I, w- I would say probably on a personal level, personal probably, he said about 2 to 3%. And I was sitting there listening, I said, that's a bit cynical. I mean, I, you know, I, I, come on, how about 20, I mean, you know, 20, 30%. But here was his point. He said, because every prophetic word demands partnership. People love the prophecy, but if you don't own it, treasure it, and then get the plan for it, then it doesn't come to pass, not because God doesn't care, God doesn't speak, but man didn't partner with God in fulfilling the word. Right? There's things that God does sovereignly, um, but in his sovereignty, he has chosen to partner with his creation to humbly respond to him and obey his word. And when we do that, it unlocks doors, right, of, of life and ministry and hope and help. Huge deal, Right? Let me give you an example of that just to encourage you personally. So Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, very well-known passage. It's written in the midst of Babylonian captivity. The world's over. You think it's bad now? They had these wicked rulers ruling their life, their whole promise to be Israel, God's people. Is this really true? Does it really matter? Because the previous verses, the prophet said, just make houses and prosper Babylon. I guess we're done with Israel. And God speaks to them in the middle of their rebellion and says, I know the plans I have for you, declared the Lord, a plan for a future and a hope. So when God speaks a promise like that, wow, he spoke that in the midst of every promise looking like it was dismantled. 
And then he says, then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me, and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me and find me and search for me when you search for me with all your heart. So you have this beautiful promise of God over every person in this room. His plans are good and not evil for you, period. No matter if you're in the biggest rebellion of your life or you're in the glorious mountain of your life, his plans are still good for you. And it's for a future hope. And But you're going to have to call on his name. You're going to have to come and pray to him. And you're going to have to seek him with all your heart. And he you will, he will be found by you. And this isn't some heavy works thing. And it's, it's way outweighed on grace. What I mean is God still blows me away by my little obedience and a big God of blessing. So, so don't get uptight. Don't get distracted except to say, hey, my partnership matters, right? What about the parable of seed and sower? Another great, there's it one, um, right? You get down to the fourth soil uh, but the third soil is really concerning, right? Uh, they, the, the word came, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire of other things caused them not to bear fruit. And that's called a third soil person. Anybody been a third soil person? I, I, I have. No, y'all raising your hand. Okay. Yeah, deceitful, desire for other things. And the cares, cares of this world. If we didn't get you on the first two, cares of this world, surely. That got you. So when people say, like even in the pure kind of disciple-making movement stuff, say, I'm looking for the fourth-soil person, I, well, I hope it's not relegated only to the fourth-soil person because I'm a third-soil person on given days. I'm glad nobody gave up on me on third-soil days. But the fourth-soil person are those who hear the Word of God and retain it and kind of, and the, the Scripture says, literally meditate on it and own it, and they bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. So, that, but that's only 25% of the people. So just to be encouraging that it does matter when God speaks that we respond. It matters that we obey what we know. It matters, and again, not out of some heaviness, but the joy of entering into our design and, and, and that God has above and beyond for us. Who wouldn't want to obey God if you really knew God? Um, and the way I do that 30, 60, and 100 fold, I said that just to show you the mercy of God. So if you're 30% dead, then you're going to get a 30% return on your life. If you're 60% dead to self, you're going to get a 60% return. If you're 100% dead to yourself, you're going to get a 100% return. But God still honors when we're just 30% dead. I guess because he couldn't get anything done if he was relying on the 100% dead to self people. We couldn't, we couldn't do anything. And, the, and when we're 30% dead, he encourages us to, hey, why don't you die a little more? This is really enjoyable. Like the fruit of this is beautiful. And beautiful. You're getting several many sermons that were unplanned. Hopefully that helps. All right, so uh, where was it? Oh, Queen Mary. Okay, so we got, we got Queen Mary going on. And we picked that back up, and in 2021, and God spoke to us, all right, conscript, retrofit. All this pruning is for good. Just retrofit the staff. Retrofit your mindset. Anything of luxury, anything that's not needed, just throw it off. It's not going to help. There's a war going on. People need Jesus. Let's clean up and stay close and, and get everything going. So uh, we did that in 21. It's been a, been a, been a really tremendous year. And... Um, and then on January, in January of 21, so we kind of get our clear word, all right, let's do this. In, uh, in January, I have a dream that, I, that now we call the Trafalgar Square dream. Anybody, anybody not heard the Trafalgar Square dream? Raise, raise your hand. Oh, good. Oh, this is a great, this is going to be real fun to unpack. Um, because it gets us into what God's speaking to us as a, as a movement for um, this year. 
So um, it's January 21, and I, and I have a dream. And again, just for lack of a better term, I mean, this happens like three times a year, and it's never this big. <laughs> and what I want to say also, a lot of times people get things based on their calling in the community. So I am called to lead, be one of the leaders of the movement, and, I, and my job is to make sure we keep our vision and our values clear. So it would be normal for God to speak to me about stuff that has to do with vision and values. Where if somebody else is calling us to pastor the community, it would be normal for them to have supernatural encounters with God to pastor better. It would be normal for you to get stuff about how to serve training schools where I probably wouldn't get that because that's not my position on the boat, right? So God, I'm not, uh, what I'm trying to do is take comparison out of the room. Or, or, and I'm not trying to elevate me as anything other than just a servant of the Lord, but this is my job. So I guess God figures, well, it's your job, dude. I got to give you something to work with. So all that. So it's January 21, and, um, and I have this dream, very, very clear, vivid dream. And in the dream, I'm sitting in a 1972 pickup truck. Now, I'm 58 years old, so I was... Uh, eight years old in 1972. I remember 1972 well. And I'm sitting in this 1970, and it's a single bed pickup truck. The windows roll down, and I'm looking over Trafalgar Square in London. Now, I know it's July. It's July. I've been a few years, but I've been, been there in July. I know it's July. It's July and I'm looking at Trafalgar Square. All these people are, there's this big green space. All these people are hanging out, picnicking, etc. But there's this guy in the middle of the crowd setting up a tripod with a 50 millimeter gun that he is propping up on that tripod and nobody sees him. And I look across this, they call it the, uh, a green or this uh, field. Uh, I look across the green and one of our senior pastors is on the other side of the green and he is sighting this guy in and going to take him out. And I'm sitting there and I start screaming, shooter, shooter, shooter. I'm, of course, I'm concerned about my friend, senior pastor, but I'm also concerned about all the people because they don't see him. So when I scream shooter, everybody starts running. It's like a movie, grabbing blankets and kids. And, ah! and the shooter realizes he's been found. And instead of pulling the trigger, then he swings it towards our truck. And let's say we're 60 yards away from him or so. And our guy who was leading our prophetic ministry, my kind of right-hand executive pastor, was in the middle seat, and I'm in there. They're looking straight ahead. I'm looking out, screaming. They don't realize what's going on, and, I'm, and I start screaming to them, go, 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 because I realize the only way for us not to be shot is if we go. And, um, and again, remember, they're with me. They're not unsupportive. They're just like, hey, aren't you a little too urgent? What are you all uptight about? You know, it's, they don't realize the urgency because they don't see the shooter. So I dive on the floorboard and I hit the accelerator. We lurch forward as three gunshots go off and hit the tail of the bed of the truck. Um, time, there isn't enough time to unpack all this, but I do want to just get, uh, uh, obviously, it's obvious. God's been trying to destroy leaders in the body of Christ, our own leaders. S people didn't realize it. And somebody needed to shout, hey, cover warfare, pray, call out the shooter, right? 
And then whoever did call out the shooter, then he turns on me. If we can take out the leader of the movement or the movement, if we can't take out the senior pastor, we'll take out the movement. And, but the movement's dead in the water if we don't go. If we don't keep moving forward, if we stay here and discuss, huh, I wonder what we think we ought to do right now. If, if, if the warfare is this live and it's now, then we got to move forward. And so that in and of itself was enough for me. Hey, and, and I began to say, hey, guys, we have got to move forward. There is still a lot of pain, still a lot of challenges, still a lot of dialogue, but we have got to do this in a forward motion because we're going to get picked off if we don't keep moving forward. All right, so, um, so I've shared this with the movement a little bit, and we started getting up to this year's uh, Word of the Lord for 2022, and this dream comes back up, and I'm in now in, literally, in Scotland, and I'm sharing this word, and they said, well, you know, Trafalgar was a battle, and I said, really? Now, I'm so sorry, you guys. I should be smarter than this. I did take history, uh, uh, but Trafalgar was the last great battle that established the British Navy as the, as the ruler of the seas. They defeated Napoleon, the French, and uh, Spanish Armadas. It was kind of a miraculous deal. It was led by a guy named Lord Nelson, and at the end of the big grain space in, in Trafalgar Square is this statue, and there's this roundabout. Lord Nelson is up on the statue. That roundabout leads to, they call it the, mon, the um, archway of the Admiralty. It's where all the major naval offices are, and it goes straight to Buckingham Palace. So Queen Mary comes out, goes through this archway of the Admiralty, because that was what allowed British colonialism and British rule because of their power in the seas. You go out about on the round, roundabout, she goes into town, and this big green space is where all the tourists hang out while they're waiting to see all this stuff, right? Does that make sense? So I'm learning a little bit more. Well, the Battle of Trafalgar was so interesting because the, the name of, the, the, name of the, the lead ship was Victory, and Lord Nelson was the guy, and he created some unique strategies that had never been used before. But one of the things, but, but in the battle, he died. And the reason he died is he was killed by a single sniper bullet. And what happened, you know, those kind of uh, stupid things you know now in retrospect, when they would go to battle and two ships would face each other and just bomb each other. I, I don't know. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm not thinking that's the smartest thing to do. But that, that's, how, that's what they knew of war. They would face off and just bomb each other. So what would happen is, in the crow's nest at the top of the mast would be snipers, and they would look for officers on either boat. But they would also take each other out. So they had to keep their eye on the snipers. And if you didn't, then they would take out an officer. Well, they didn't keep their eye on the sniper, and it took out the greatest admiral in British history with a single bullet. Wow. Kind of big stuff, right? So I'm in Scotland. We're discussing this and praying into all this stuff. And I'm at Joe and Yvonne Ewan's house, and we, I wake up the next morning and go down and get coffee, and Yvonne says, you won't believe what happened last night. And I said, what? And she said, um, you got to see this video. So in the roundabout in Trafalgar Square, there was a car, nobody in it, that stalled out, and you see it on fire. 
And then you hear on this video people screaming, oh, my God, oh, my God. And they're running around on that green space, and you hear, it sounds exactly like a rifle shot, and the car explodes. And like, whoa. And it ran the news cycle, the BBC, Sky News, which were the uh, British news stations. It didn't make international news because they, they said, oh, it's just a car that was abandoned because it stalled out and they left it. It wasn't a terrorist attack or anything. But this car explodes. Then there's this other video where it's kind of some young people in this, uh, probably a tourist van, and they're taking, oh, my God, oh, my God. That's literally what they're saying is they're, is they're coming up on it and um, – and it explodes, and the guy screams in the background, go, 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 go. Wow. So talk about a sign and a wonder or a confirmation that, hey, God's trying to speak to us uh, through this dream. Well, here's the other part of the dream. And make, uh, of course, you weren't expecting me to go this direction. But uh, So you're sitting in 1972. So what was going on in the world in 1972? Let me give you a few things. So it was the beginning of Watergate, political scandal. No, the, the mistrust of political leaders, would now we still experience the fallout of that. The Vietnam War that was ended in no contest with unneeded destruction in people's lives. You had the, the sexual revolution, the deliberations began that would eventually end up in the Roe v. Wade decision, and all of the last of the, the, the laws that kind of curbed immorality related to pornography, destruction, were all lifted. The sexual revolution was uh, in uh, full bloom. It was the 1972 Olympics were where the, all the Israeli athletes were killed by Palestinian revolutionaries shocked the world. You had all of these things that were going on, and there was chaos. There were still riots, race riots, everything's going on. But in 1972, there was a deal called Explo 72 at the Cotton Bowl, and it was hosted by Campus Crusade, a guy named Bill Bright, and the YWAM guys, Southern Baptist. Raised a light for revival in America from all over the nation. They had 100,000 young people that raised a light for revival in America. And it was, a Crusade would go back and say, it was the catalyst for their world evangelization. It was, they believe, turn the tide uh, for uh, young people, the Jesus movement kind of at the next level. And on the front page of the major magazine, which would be whatever the major, major magazine is now, which there aren't that many, but let's just say it would be Lifetime magazine called Life magazine. And it, it has a guy on somebody's shoulder and, say, and saying, the Jesus people revolution in America. It made the front page of the major distributions of the world, the world because God was doing something. So in the midst of evil, God was doing something in, in an event, but it was also a movement that would catalyze something in the world. Well, 1972, so what, what year is it? 2022. 50 years later, now 50 years later, what's the word 50 mean in the Bible? Anybody know what? Give us a little help. Jubilee, right? Forgiveness of sins, fresh start, way to go. Then you also, Pentecost was on the 50th day, was Pentecost. So you have Pentecost and Jubilee, two powerful things that happen. And um, for our friends, uh, and again, um, uh, the, 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 the Send is a big stadium event. They have uh, probably 100 prophetic words about Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, I heard this throughout the 80s and so on and so forth. So you have 50 years later, the Send's happening in May. It's, it's 
trying to fill Arrowhead Stadium, they believe, for young people to raise up 200,000 laborers for the nations and to pray for the nations of the earth as a catalyst for the next generation. So, And there's another group, a more conservative evangelical group, trying to fill the Cotton Bowl again. But they couldn't do it in 20, and they couldn't do it in 21. They had tried, but it's landing in 2022. So, wow. Now, just to add a little more prophetic zip to it, and then the prophetic people are here, so I need to kind of get there quick, is um, the other, I was, uh, this is probably about six weeks ago, I'm greeting people as they're leaving church, and I, I still love doing that. I just stand at the door and say hi to people. And this couple walks up, and I'd never seen him before, hadn't seen him since, and uh, probably just early 30s. And uh, what I remember is not their faces, but he had a shirt on that said Jesus on it. And he comes up, he shakes my hand. He said, hey, you know, great sermon, Pastor. He said, I want to give this to you. And I can tell he has a coin in his hand. And I take the coin, and I said, you know, yeah, thank you. And, and I'm greeting the next person, and I realized I didn't get a chance to acknowledge him. So I, I said, hey, man, thanks. I saw it was a coin. I said, thanks for the coin. And and uh, and he, he looked at me, and just so graciously, he said, um, uh, he said, oh, don't thank me. It's a gift from Jesus. And I said, great, thanks. And best I knew, it looked like, like a silver dollar. So I flip it over, and it's a silver dollar, and it's 1972. It's a 1972 silver dollar. And if you know anything about the 1972 silver dollar, which I'm sure you don't, it says uh, <laughs> 1972. Eisenhower is the, the guy, the deliverer of World War II. And in large letters, it says liberty over it. In the King James Version, now the Lord is the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. Jubilee is liberty for debts. Pentecost is liberty by the Holy Spirit. So here we go. In the little in God we trust. On the back, and I have to do one more little tangent to tell you the back. About 15 years ago, I'm in uh, the Himalayas, and one of our leaders, they're reaching Tibetan Buddhists in that area, and there's probably five known Tibetan Buddhists in the world, and they're learning the language, and it's difficult, and it's hard, and, you know, can God do this? And, you know, you're about 11,000 feet, 10,000 feet, we're walking the Himalayas, it's kind of late in the day, and you're like, and the moon comes out, but it's huge. You know, like when the moon's huge, and you're like, well, that is just crazy. It's huge. Full moon, it's huge. It's like it's sitting on us. And I'm looking up at the moon, and I'm just thinking, the greatest feat in human history is going to the moon. Think about that. People looked up for thousands of years. Somebody decided, I wonder if I could fly. And then we, what if I could fly a little higher? What if I could fly high enough to get out of the atmosphere? And then out of the atmosphere, this gravitational pull thing. I wonder if we can kind of figure that out. Then I wonder if we can figure out the gravitational pull of the moon. And then somehow shoot ourselves around the moon without just flying off into outer space. And then making it through back through the atmosphere without dying. And then, wow, if we can do that, maybe then we can stay in the gravitational pull of the moon and the earth. And we can just take this little capsule in the middle of this gravitational pull and go and land on the moon. And not only land on the moon, we can take pictures of it back to, to, the, to the earth, and then we can get in this little space capsule and catch the thing coming around. And then get back in this little tube and be shot back around. You guys, <laughs> this is the greatest feat in world history for our humans. I mean, it's, and actually, uh, I believe it's God who taught all these guys how to do this, because if you listen to the initial... 
um, um, orbit of the moon, when they look back at Earth, that famous shot, if you go to YouTube, they read Genesis 1. They knew it was God. They were in awe of God. Isn't that amazing? All right, that was, that was just a little historical tangent to say this. When, when, when I had this experience 15 years ago, I'm looking at the moon, I'm thinking, Tibetan Buddhists to be saved? Of course, this is God's will. I mean, this is not, if man can go to the moon, then we can figure out how to reach Tibetan Buddhists for Jesus. God's will is that every tribe, tongue, people, nation be saved. I mean, this is like my faith source. So every time I see the moon, especially in the richness of it, I just get fresh faith for whatever seems impossible, you know, because all things are possible. So the silver dollar. Flip to the backside of the silver dollar. On the backside of the silver dollar, there's an eagle. And I looked up the guy who was commissioned to do the coin. And, you know, you would think it looks just the American eagle. But he, at the last minute, he had looked at the eagle that was on the sleeve of the Apollo mission in 69 that landed on the moon. And that eagle has landed, got caught in his mind. And he chose that eagle to put on the back, the one that landed on the moon. The eagle has landed. And if you look at the silver dollar, there's, it's, it's the moon. The eagle's feet are on the moon. And up in the corner is the little world. And then it says, e pluralis, pluralis unum, out of many one. And this is a prophetic coin like crazy, right? And I'm just like, wow, God, you're just reinforcing yourself. And again, I just want you to know, if I didn't have any of that stuff, I would love Jesus. I would be Jesus. I would, we would do the will of God. But how encouraging is that? Okay. So now back to the open door, and then I am going to land this. All right. Uh, so now, so Joe Ewan's in town, and we, I wake up this morning, this particular morning. Uh, I'm, I'm going to leave one really cool piece out. I'll t you'll find, find out later, but I've got it for time. So we, we, we are just reveling in this open door from God. Like everywhere I wake up in the morning, God said, I want to show you open doors tonight. So I tell Joe, and we get Joe and Yvonne and Laura and my wife, Laura, and we all had busy schedules. We couldn't get to go until 9 o'clock at night. So Joe and Yvonne are 73. We're 58. God's moving. Who cares if it's 9 o'clock at night, you know? This is, this is the Lord's moving. And there was another uh, uh, gal in our midst who's a very prophetic seer gal. I mean, like, like, um, like a seer seer. So um, she just happened to be in town, just happened to be in town. So uh, she comes over at 9 o'clock. She, she said, I see on the wall Psalm 24. Open up the ancient gates, uh, you know, for the king of glory to come in. And, and, and Spirit of God starts falling on us. We just start worshiping and praying. God gives us so many incredible open door things. She gets the date and the time of the invasion of Ukraine. This is two and a half weeks before. She's blood in Europe. She starts wailing and interceding. We see ahead of time, we literally write down the date and the time. She gets this crazy word about it's, it's like the Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz came out a week before World War II when Hitler invaded Poland. And I mean, those kind of crazy things are going. I have this thing about some, some of our missionaries walking in the garden with Jesus. And I call them the next morning and they had had the most incredible breakthrough they had had that they could ever remember. It was just like, whoa, these doors are opening. So when we think of often God meet open door, we're thinking an open door 
to share the gospel, which it is. Paul said, pray an open door that I might preach the gospel boldly. We think of an open door, hey, open a door for me to get a new job or get a promotion or get some money or get a car. Those are all open doors. But what if the open door was revelation of God in the heavenly places that would transform your perspective of God for a lifetime? What if that's what the open door is? And I just want to say it is. It's an open door, not just a ministry to do stuff. It's an open door of revelation into the reality of God. And so all that to say is I want to declare something here. And I've, there's a, so This is the fourth time in my journey with Jesus. I've known Jesus for 40 years, and in the last 35, we are in a move of God. It's not coming, it's here. Like, like the Norman youth, that would be, they're in a move of God. I don't know if the rest of church may be as well, but for sure they are, right? There are pockets of unique visitations from God. And here, here's what I say. So this open door passage to me is, we are seated with the heavenly places in Christ. We are not begging God for stuff. We are seeing stuff and declaring it into being. And, and that's not, that, that is theologically true, but there are times in God when it's God coming at us versus us trying to reach out for God. And there is an open door that God is not shutting because we have a little power, but because we've honored his word and love his name, that he is manifesting himself for those who see and those who hear. So I want to pray that over you, and, and we're going to do some uh, worship ministry. But before I do, I just want to say, so how does that apply to the training schools, right? <laughs> I just came here to learn about the training school. Right. So uh, what, what's that all about? What that all about? What's that all about is that when God's moving, people's hunger needs to be fed or they get deceived, if you don't teach and train double time when God's pouring his spirit out and delivering people of stuff and opening up realms that they're not used to, if they don't get grounded in the journey and they're not connected to the people of God, they spin out. And this, the, the training school is, is the anchor throughout the journey because there's only so much you can do on Sunday morning. There's actually only so much you can do in a life group. That's why we really encourage personal discipleship and personal ownership of your devotional life. But the strengthening and provides that extra element of undergirding and strengthening. And, and if there's ever been a time where there's, people are so biblically illiterate, just the Bible project, Bible reading journey alone is enough to do the training school uh, every year. So people need us. We don't just need them, oh, please do the training school. No, they need the training school for their sakes to be anchored and established because the wind of the Spirit is moving. God is walking by. That door is open, and we need to be attentive to it. And when you come into the training school, because you've been given that anointing and grace to lead the training school, you need to come with confidence that the door is open and that God's giving you things for them to bring them in to this now move of God. So that's what I want to leave you with, that the door is open. 
It's open. God's coming at us for those who see and those who hear. I'll just say this. Not everybody's going to see. And not everybody's going to hear. And it's not even because they don't want it. They just aren't hungry or humble. Those two groups get to see and get to be a part of it. Not the perfect or imperfect. It's the hungry and the humble. And we want to provide a table for that. And we want to be those people by the Holy Spirit. So God's at work. No matter what evil thing's going on, something greater is going on of grace. Antioch movement, we are in a great place positioning ourselves before God. We're on a five-year word of becoming conscripted people, retrofitting ourselves for the glory of God. Year one was repent and clean out the can. Year two is ignite the boiler room, worship intercession, learn how to pray again. Learn how to live in prayer and, and just saturate our hearts with it. And then, again, who knows what the next piece is, but we're not projecting out. We're trusting God to lead us through. All righty? All right. So I think I see the prophetic team hovering. So, Mick, you can start some worship. Hey, everybody, stand up. And I uh, want to pray over you. Put your hands on your eyes or on your ears, whatever you need. Lord, I have trouble hearing or I have trouble seeing in the spirit realm, whichever your need is. And I want to pray that. And then we're going to worship a little bit. And our teams are going to start praying over you guys uh, as well. So spirit of the living God. We are so grateful that Jubilee and Pentecost. It's not coming. It has come. <laughs> and that the door is opened so wide that you are pouring out yourself in our midst. And so we would pray, let me see, let us see, God. Let us see, God. Open our ears, let us hear, Lord. In this hour, in this moment, let us see, let us hear. Let us see, let us hear, let us hear by the Holy Spirit.